0: Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-rec and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals, and it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrol, which is my next sponsor. Versatrol has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place not to mention they do a lot on the feasibility side which makes feasibility surveys a breeze check it out this is a company that is going places versatile my next sponsor is creo i've been using creo for years they are e-source and e-reg and ctms and patient database and e-consent and so many more other things and while they are not free I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes Figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept the study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own. Specifically DSCS where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of, a shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee, and then we have the CRA, CRC Academies, and everything Live, 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 and we're alive, guys, gals, boys and girls, everyone in between and everyone out there in the ether. Uh this is my second live stream today, actually. You know, we did one SOS. They, they say sites don't need saving. We beg to differ. Um, did you hear about the three hundred million dollar site network? IKEVIA bought.
1: No, no. no. Tell me more,
0: man. This is validation. You know what they bought? Ikevia bought a three hundred million dollar site network. So,
1: so you are at least worth seventy million.
0: Oh, come on, man. No, you we have more. You McClanagh trials. I mean, we're lucky to pay the rent. RPI move us to the attic. He's like, hey, go upstairs and. Uh, do your stuff over there. Do your experiments up there. And uh, no, nah, he was nice about it. We still use the clinics, but no uh, three hundred million. Uh, we didn't it's not clear how many sites exactly, but it was a site network, like nothing fancy, traditional sites, research naive patient community clinics, no DCT, none of this E, whatever. That's not that's not what they bought. So
1: I have a thing. I got the guy who wrote the DCT Guidance to actually come onto my podcast. So Who's I'm interviewing it? him next week. Who is it? Craig? Uh,
0: what's that? Craig Lipset? No, it's not Craig. <laughs> it's not Craig. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. <laughs> like He doesn't work for the FDA, so I would be. Oh, so you have to be an employee. See, we did an hour long on this. I'm still not clear. So Which you, part? Oh, coming yeah, more. The, the FDA. So you have to to write the guidance. You have to be FDA, but they allow anyone to submit. Uh, what is it called? Like comments. Comments. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> comments. All right. His name, yeah, I mean, he's one of the
1: many people. It's not like some guy writes write the guidance alone. Mm-hmm. But the guy I'm I'm going to
0: be interviewing is a guy called Isaac Rodriguez Chavez. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. That's awesome. So people can tune in at your. Your podcast, yes, yeah, so I'm
1: gonna. I'm not gonna do a live one, I'm gonna do it as a recording, which mm-hmm. is next week. I'll try to put it out sooner. I think I'm actually recording, I have podcasts scheduled to like s- September, or October right now. You're a beast, dude. I'm charging how
0: much you're charging to you get on your pod zero so zero, far. That's zero. Amazing, the so what <laughs> zero you haven't <laughs> turned into magi yet.
1: No, not yet. I, I gotta learn from the affair method.
0: I believe you have a book coming out on talk? this. No, free, 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 free. But look, fraud pod. People are tuning in, they're like, what's the fraud pod? Darshan, um in our last live, we had this like spontaneous idea that's hey, why don't we call something fraud pod, talk about fraud. You've already been doing this. I have so we're gonna feature this on your existing show. Yep. I'll come on here and there, but you're gonna do fraud pod and what do you, what do you plan to do with this? Like uh,
1: so my thought process is this. People were interested in talking about fraud and seeing how it all comes together. So we're going to talk, I think, about the types of different different types of fraud that are out there. Uh, whether we're talking about clinical research, what kinds of issues might pop up, um, reimbursement issues in the context of clinical research, outside the context of clinical research, pharmacy. Um, uh, we we can see that in advertising. Like there were there were at one point it was something like. 14 billion dollars in um fraud related payments that were paid to the DOJ just from life sciences companies. So those are different issues we can get into. Now I might make that into a a channel that again you and I can push out there and we can talk about it and hopefully it just means more engagement that that will feed the the t-shirt beast that is Dan Safara. <laughs>
0: Why do do you think people are so interested in fraud?
1: I think it's sort of like seeing CSI Miami live.
0: But do you think people are interested because they want to know the bench, like the barometer for where they can't go too far? Or do you think they're interested from like a philosophical perspective of like, what are other people doing? I can't believe it.
1: See, I think it's more like rubbernecking, which is you you drive by an accident and you just want to you just have to stare at the accident.
0: And, yeah, but because it's like the deeper understanding is that could have been me.
1: Yeah, yeah. It could also be, there's, there's an element of the Simpsons character, I forget the character's name, where you just pointing go ha ha! Meanwhile, <laughs> you could very easily be doing the same exact thing. Right. And and right. that's the scary part. And you you are 100% right that people are looking at these things. And I think for sites, it's become a bigger issue. And I think FraudPod might be something we discuss in generalities. But I think we could get into that that's sort of a amorphous term. I can see us talking a little bit about 483s, a warning letter that went out to a site. What are the findings in that? And how is that different from, say, the last four warning letters that went out? Why does it matter? And I think those are some of the conversations we want to get, get, into, get into so that people aren't going, oh, this is easy and, and this is intuitive. Because it rarely
0: is, and I think that's what we want to catch, and that's what we want to show. Do you think? So you're an attorney and a pharmacist. By the way, it's not legal advice or medical advice. I mean, this. Thank you. Imagine that. But you you deal with like, do people call you after they're in trouble and say, "Hey, Darshan, you know, we're being accused of all the fraud all the time, all the time,
1: all the time." I would say it's probably. Thirty percent of my business, maybe.
0: Do you ever not take a case because you're like, nah, dude, you guys just, you did it. You're wrong. I don't want to support this.
1: Well, so, so what's your first? So here's how it usually works out. Here's what I'm being accused of. Okay, let let's see what actually happened because you don't actually know if they're right or wrong. Sometimes do you, know? do you need to know? I do because my experience is one of two things happen. One is the person literally doesn't know that they've committed fraud, if you will, and then you're going, well, it, there are different types of fraud. What do we need to do do to fix it? So the people who are going, I d- didn't commit fraud, and I don't think I need to fix it, those are the most problematic to me. If they because did they don't fraud know
0: They don't know they did it.
1: And don't want to fix it. Is that the most common? Uh, the ones who didn't know that they did it is actually pretty common. Don't want to fix it is incredibly rare.
0: What about, um, I know I did wrong. Let's just clean it up.
1: Those are my favorite ones.
0: Your favorite
1: because because (laughs) I know I did because that means that you acknowledge that there's a mistake. The first step in fixing something is to know that you made a mistake.
0: Yeah, but only because they got caught. You don't care. Okay, it depends on on what you mean by that. You don't judge people.
1: I don't judge people. That's not my. That's not my job. They're my favorite from the context of I know that there was a mistake done, not in the context of oh I kind of did wrong. That's not okay. I, I hope that everyone's working from the perspective of, I want to f- do good in life. Things slip th- through the cl- cracks all the time, but and, and I can't chase after every possible scenario, but I want to try my best to do right. And sometimes it doesn't work out, and I, I made a mistake and now I want to fix it. And that's what I think we're trying to do here.
0: You can do a whole thing on like 483s, you know? And the- Oh my
1: God, dude, there, think about all the 483s. Think about, um, I don't know, we haven't done this uh, before, but I just did a presentation for a large academic medical institution where I talked about what the FDA has seen in the last five years and how um, investigator initiated studies versus uh, remote audits versus risk-based audits. How has all that played out wow. over the last five years? And the FDA puts all this data out there. And you can look at it.
0: More fraud in IITs? There's a lot of fraud in IITs. That's an that's a issue. Did you see the article like maybe a month ago? the amount of fraud at the AMCs in order to get grants and, or to get like peer-reviewed journal published to get grants?
1: Oh, yeah. I think I think you probably clicked on my link.
0: I might have clicked. You're all <laughs> over the place, man. Like I probably did. Uh, it came out like last month, I think, no? Or like a few weeks ago.
1: There, there have been at least three different articles I can think of on exactly that issue. Uh, did you see yesterday's uh, guidance on informed consent?
0: I saw about it. I mean... I got comments that we, in 2019, we wrote about basically the same thing in here. So we were ahead of the curve. So I don't know what they said, but it's good. This, you're supposed to be doing this already. Well,
1: so it's not that you, should, you shouldn't be getting informed consent. I think if, if you were doing studies without informed consent, you have a problem. The question is, when should you get informed consent? So that's one of those issues that people continuously struggle with. And I think the guidance tried to add some clarity around that. It's still... There's so many nuances that you, that people like me continue to have a job because you kind of go, this is how far it goes. From a risk-based perspective, you're taking this one additional step. Are we still in the same ballpark or have we gone too far? And that's where someone will call me up and go, this is
0: my my take on it. I see. it To me, I mean, maybe it's because I just work at small clinics, but it's not like that complicated. Like process of consent, document it, make sure the patient understands, make sure they have time to – discuss, make sure they're not coerced, document it all. I mean, it's coming. Okay, how,
1: how, how, let's let's pick one just for argument's sake. Okay. How do you make sure they're not coerced?
0: You talk to them, you say, you know there are alternative treatments. This is uh-huh. not treatment. This is uh-huh. research. You'll get excellent care, I guarantee you that, but it's not treatment. Okay, uh, so hold
1: on, hold on, hold on. Let, let's, let's pick on that. You'll get excellent care, but it's not treatment. Yes. Do you think the average guy who walks through the door, knows what the difference is between those two words. I'll
0: explain it. Okay, I'll explain so go on. It. Explain it. We do more labs than you'll ever get in your standard of care. Is that good or bad? That's good. We're, don't you want more info on yourself as a patient? Do you have more info on yourself or is it just is, is that information we'll give being given labs. back? we we'll give them their labs. Okay. That's, that's the not, thing about not being like an AMC. We can give you a copy of your library. Whatever you want, you get it.
1: Right. And and now let's say you give those labs back to the patient. How do you know that they make sense to the patient? Are you, are you telling me every single time someone sits and explains those labs back to them? NP or PI, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so, so what we have now is a situation where every single time, every single patient who walks through the door has every if single lab.
0: Want, if they want. Uh, see, not every, We offer it to everyone. Mm-hmm. Only unless so, you choose.
1: But that's my point. Yeah. So can you truly ensure, truly ensure that there's informed consent or that people want to be part of the study and are willing to take the risk? So the informed consent is of the risk, not of the actual information. As both. You, you just admitted that they may not. Most people don't want to see their labs and have them explained to them.
0: Most like the option, but then they, they don't take advantage of it.
1: And that's my point. So yeah. can you truly be informed if you don't know?
0: Can you truly be informed if you don't know? Yeah, you're informed of your opportunity to take part of this option.
1: Sure. So you, you have that information. But yeah. do you have information of the actual
0: labs? Because you, you start with the if premise. It's abnormal, if it's abnormal, we tell them every time.
1: Every okay. time. okay. And if it's not-
0: If high, we got to do this test now. They know. And then if they need more explanation, okay, Jaime, come in here and tell them like, what this means. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. So,
0: so what we have
1: is a scenario where you're saying that every abnormal test, we're going to tell you more. Uh, are, are there a bunch of questions and comments?
0: Uh, one, Stefan. Stefan.
1: What is Stefan saying?
0: As a recruitment I... professional. Here, let's put it on the. Yeah. Whoa, you're gone, Darshan. As I'm still recruitment... here. <laughs> How oh, do okay. we know? It's philosophical. Oh, I don't know you're you. there. Oh, okay, I I was just professional... like kicked out. Everything is about setting the expectations in a clear way and in layman's terms that the patient can understand. For me, the idea of recruitment is to provide all possible data and information possible for someone to make their own informed decision. Removing coercion is as simple as not offering your own opinion or ideals on the matter at hand.
1: Ooh. Put that back up. Hold on. Let's see
0: if people agree.
1: Removing coercion is as simple as not offering your own opinion or ideals on the matter. Would you agree with that statement?
0: I don't agree with the last part. I okay. think if you're a professional in the space, like you're a professional clinical research professional, certainly if you're a nurse practitioner or a physician, uh-huh. you, you can, and you should offer your own opinion. That's what you do. You say, Hey, here's a study. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's for arthritis. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's study. Here's standard of treatment. Here's some alternatives that we don't do, but they do it over there. You can tell them. You also have surgery. You also have injections you have the study you have another study in my opinion i think these two things are good we can maybe after a discussion we agree this one's maybe not ideal for you and this is why that's all opinion all so, of it's opinion so i'll tell you my experience so
1: my mom was in the hospital at one point and i went in with her i'm a pharmacist i've i've had at that point i was working in in the pharmacy in the same hospital when that was happening and the, the pharmacy student or whatever came in uh, and they were trying to explain the meds and stuff like that. And I, on one hand, logically, I understood the words. But I can tell you that I was under so much stress with my mom being where she was that I couldn't process those words. Mm-hmm. So even though the information was given, I'm not sure how much I understood at that moment.
0: And you're a pharmacist attorney. I'm a pharmacist.
1: <laughs> exactly. In this space. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, my, so my question is, can you truly get to a point where you have true informed consent? I'm not saying I, – I, I think informed consent is in many ways an, an idyllic situation. It's yeah, something absolutely. you aim for. It's not something that you can necessarily go checked off.
0: Yeah, and it's especially not something – I agree with you there. I agree with you. The way you're framing it is like from a lawyer perspective, right, where you're looking for holes. Right. Like from a practical perspective, you can't achieve it. But that's where the issues turn into when it becomes like the holes. And that's why. Exactly. But that's all you see because that's all you deal with. And then exactly. I almost never deal with that. <laughs> right. So I never see it.
1: <laughs> all I see are those issues because yeah. those are the times I get the calls. Yeah. Um, but, but that's just one of the issues. Another one that's coming up. Truly informed consent, just and it wasn't part of this discussion. And that's this is not what informed consent means. But I'll pick another one. Uh, and I don't, I forget which, which uh, clinical trial, but some sponsor just got um, picked out for not disclosing clinical trial results. Do sponsors have a responsibility to tell patients, especially study subjects, of the results of a clinical trial? And if so, what level of inf- information do you have to provide? So I've done this at a, for, multi, for a global company where I'd set up a transparency program for them. But the, the question is, you've got informed consent. Do you owe that responsibility to come back to them after the fact? And can you just put it onto a public website like what the EMA wants? Or do you have a responsibility to go, you know what, PI, here's the six folders for the six different patients. Give it to them. Or you take it the next step further and go, you know what? Here is a database. They can each log in, see their information, see how it connects to how the other patients performed and understand how they connect or compare to the other patients. What it, What is the level of transparency that you need in clinical research and is not giving that information a type of um? The word's not fraud, and I'm not sure that's, that's fair to use, but is it a type of lack of transparency?
0: Yes, I mean, it is. Now the question is, should they, and then legally can they, give those information out? But so you can,
1: after the fact. In fact, the, the EMA requires it, but it's usually done up to one year after the end of the study.
0: Okay. Um, Here, I mean, all of our patients ask, "Will I know afterwards what I was on?" We always say no. We can try to ask, but most of the time, it's not. They're not going to do it. If they do, it's after the study's over and all the data's clean. You won't even care anymore at that point if, when it's released, you know.
1: But yeah, I think. But that's you kind of have to keep it that way, right? Even the sponsor sometimes typically won't know, right? Because it would blind, it would unblind the study, right? Um. You've I've had issues uh, around DSMBs and the like. It's always interesting because yeah. DSMBs are doing their own thing on top of everything else, and IRBs are doing their own thing, and sometimes the IRB can be in conflict with the DSMB about what disclosure can be made,
0: blah, 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 blah. And sometimes IRB can own sites. <laughs> well, I don't think the IRB owns the site. No, they I do. think the
1: parent company for
0: the IRB owns the site. Are you aware? Okay, whatever shell game they're trying to play, the IRB... <laughs> Come on, Darshan.
1: Oh, come on. Yeah. So wait, are you saying that if you're in the clinical research world and you own one company and you have that domain expertise, you should not?
0: Don't make me get a turn on you, Darshan. <laughs> if you're regulated by the OHRP, your uh-huh. main stakeholders that you're taking care of, your only ones, are patients. Uh-huh. That's what you're doing. Okay.
1: There. I'm with you. Go on. That's it. There's nothing okay. So, so let's assume no you're- further
0: right. questions, Your Honor. I'm so, done. So,
1: so you're conceding, you're agreeing that, a, sh- should that company be allowed to make money? Of course, they should. Okay,
0: Yeah.
1: so how there, there are two ways you can make money, right? Daily operations or sale. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Okay, right? So in that scenario, let's assume daily operations, they're doing whatever they can. So they're going to look at selling. So what types of companies can a IRB be sold to?
0: private equity
1: okay so we're agreeing private equity are we now so saying that a-
0: just based on reality that's what yeah
1: I'm, I'm agreeing with you i'm not disagreeing yeah. with you i'm agreeing with you so now the private equity company i didn't owns say the that's IRB.
0: okay i just said that's what's happening
1: okay so what? what is okay let, let's let ask don't you know that what's question.
0: okay because ohrp right isn't ohrp still in charge of these irbs like all of them sure sure so ohrp arp yeah so, they have really strict rules about what the company can or can't do. They probably found loopholes. You know, they hired an army of Darshans to figure out okay, well, did you okay. hear about the like the pharma does this too? They they try to like make deals with the native with the with the Native American tribe so they can get sued. Like,
1: <laughs> so first of all, you don't have the facts right, you're just sort of like making mixing things together. You're talking on about the right track. Right? I'm on the
0: right track. Okay, they try, they try
1: i'm 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 gonna start let's pick one one subject at a time
0: irbs should irbs the question on my other live stream today with brad and fox actually i wish you were on it
1: yeah call me
0: the question was should i like maybe it was wcg one of them there were rumors they were going to go public and instead they went pe route Mm -hmm. and then i brought up this ohrp maybe they don't allow them because once you go public your primary Responsibilities to st- to your shareholders no longer, and you could argue it's no longer to patients at that point.
1: So no, Which,
0: indeed, the purpose
1: of the um... no, I, I don't, I don't think that's uh, like I don't think you can uh, a company can be told what their ownership structure should look like. That's extremely unusual, if not impossible. What they can be told uh, there, there are a couple exact, uh, there are examples where that is not true, and I'll give you an example. For example. Um, there are requirements in many states, and some in some states, that um, pharmacies can only be owned by pharmacists and law firms can only own, be owned by lawyers. So, your position position around that makes conceptual sense, but it doesn't translate into practice and in clinical research outside those very specific professional areas. Sure. You can't tell a company that we won't allow you to be owned by some by XYZ organization right. as long as I can meet the requirements. That O'Harp, A'Harp, whatever has put out, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to be owned by them. Now that doesn't mean that you get special dispensation, but it does mean that um, as long as you follow the rules, everyone everyone's subject to the same rules.
0: Well, also doesn't mean you can't you're immune from industry scrutiny and
1: 100 possible
0: changes to the regulations. That should something happen, should they be the next guest on the fraud pod?
1: <laughs> I I think it'd be fun to have them on the fraud pod.
0: They won't come. Uh. on None of oh, these of guys. Not. I mean, well, it's I, not just WCG. It's like they're you know the top two or three. Um, yeah,
1: but I think, I think in the end, my my experience, I would say, eighty five percent of the people I've ever worked with, maybe even higher than that, probably higher than that, are people who are trying to do good. They're in this business to help people.
0: Yeah. And me too. I see the same.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised I'm saying 85. I'd probably go higher than that. People wow. make mistakes. People make uh, oversights. People prioritize the wrong thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But probably that – so so I don't think people who work for IRBs are necessarily going, oh, good. I've got money. Now I'm going to be no, evil. No, it's not
0: even the workers. The workers are not. It's the – I mean I don't even think the executive teams are evil. Right. I just think they've gotten away from their core competency for money.
1: So that's an interesting idea. So your, your position, if you will, is that, um, that there needs to be some type of retraining for executives to bring them back to what is day-to-day operations. So, so what you're really suggesting is a undercover boss but for the boss,
0: <laughs> that would be so cool, man. What I'm suggesting is like the IRBs were put in place, yeah, to be a watchdog for patients, right? Yeah, okay, they're doing that, they're checking the boxes.
1: But wouldn't you say that's true for
0: sites as well? Sites are, I went on the live stream earlier and said, we're the last patient advocates. The IRBs, so if are that's patient true, advocates.
1: If that's true, then why should sites be, be able to be bought out by? uh other sites who may want who may be pe owned and have the same exact uh conflict that you're describing
0: they're allowed to i mean because the the sites are the sites are the patient advocates like unofficially the official patient advocate is supposed to be the irb
1: well i'm not sure that's true
0: i mean in the end the pi is responsible then the pi is responsible for the safety of the patients yeah yeah so then i would say being an advocate is different though but so I have to fight for almost every other patient to be randomized.
1: Who's who's more responsible? The person who's actually officially responsible or the one who's supposed to look out for, their, for the good? The IRB is supposed to look out. It's different P. things.
0: So the PI is the safety. The IRB is the ethics. I would argue that the PI is both. But sure, the PI is both. Yeah.
1: So then, if that's true, then the argument doesn't. You kind of have to keep it
0: consistent. Then the PI, is, the PI should be the
1: one that, that that sites cannot be owned by PE companies. Then you can you can never sell well, to IQVIA. you future.
0: can replace the PI with another PI, and
1: and you'd have the same exact conflict all the over. As long again.
0: they're checking the boxes, yeah.
1: So that's my. Point. What I'm
0: talking about advocacy, though, it's like different okay. from what you're thinking. Okay. Not every other. That's an exaggeration. In every study, there's a, if we enroll ten people at least three of those patients i had to fight for like go up the ladder and say you guys want to screen fill this patient they belong in the study they're quick to screen fill they want like right. pristine patients that don't exist i'm like look this patient belongs in the study if it's a, like a irb owned side or like some conglomerate that owned and no one's fighting for the patients anymore you lose some of that patient advocacy you retain that checkbox. let's do the minimum keep them alive yes Mm-hmm. Keep them like out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yes. But like the extra mile, man, that's like what true advocacy is in my book. See, that's interesting. What you call advocacy, I would argue,
1: is not Fuck. necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not use words like that. Um, no, but I mean, what that's you're saying broad. is they don't fit into the inclusion exclusion criteria as described. You're saying can. it
0: should be a deviation from no, those They solutions. they fit. Okay. On the surface level, the default is they don't fit. But they're not considering what is the difference? They're not considering all the nuances that go into it. These are Give me an like, example. This is not pieces of paper. Give me give me an example. One example recently was someone dosing on um Wellbutrin. Okay. okay. sure. They, they're taking um, 300 milligram, but it's 150 BID. Uh-huh. So we documented that. When they told the central rater, not us, the central rater, they told them and they, they admitted they were nervous during the interview. And they also admitted there was not good rapport between the Harvard trained person and the patient. The patient actually complained to us later about this person. They were yawning and all that. But take that aside. No good rapport. They they were nervous. They told him I'd take 150, but she was referring to one pill. Right. So rather than them ex- exploring further, they say, hey, you have to screen fill this patient because they're not taking the minimum of 300. And they say, wait a minute. If it wasn't me there, though, or like trained coordinators, they'd be like, all right, let's work for me. Screen fill. But no, I got to go fight. Bark up the ladder. Look, here's the pharmacy records. Look at this. Like this patient belongs. And they're still trying to fight it. So what, is, what, is, what did the inclusion criteria say specifically? Well, it's a bunch of antidepressants, but if it's Welbutrin, it needs to be 300 a day. A day. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and, and the patient was on 150 BID and did yep. not disclose that properly. Yes. So what you're saying is, as you said, on paper, that information was not communicated properly. Whose responsibility is that?
0: Well, they took it out of our hands and put it in the Central Raiders' hands. So we documented it in our source. It, they didn't believe us because okay. we didn't have the pharmacy records yet. And so they took their vendor's word for it over ours. Right. Any other site, like owned by Amazon or whatever, Amazon does own sites. But whatever the case may be, Yeah. Another I mean, corner is like, yeah, I got 50 more to screen. Screen fail. It's not worth even the extra email. Right, right. So what I'm saying is, like, that's patient advocacy, because what happens to this patient? They fall through the cracks because of some, some um, nuance. But you just admitted it's not would. treatment, so why is that advocacy? Well, they, it's an alternative that was incorrect, improperly taken away from them. But
1: an alternative to what? To treatment?
0: To treatment, yeah. The standard of care. treatment, but their, their standard of care is not working.
1: But so, what you're admitting is we have a standard of care and then a question mark, right? Right. right. And you're saying taking away a question mark is taking away an option. It's taking away an option. Right. Unfair. But but is standard of care the only option? Standard of care is one level. They're always below standard of care. There are multiple additional Of course, alternative
0: treatment options. Which are correct. But the patient wanted to do this. Right, and some schmuck but from Harvard wanted to take that away because they don't want to dig deeper. Yeah, and then yeah. at other sites, a schmuck from that side would say, "Well, tough shit, you know, Mary Jane, that's you. <laughs> you gotta go do something else." So you here's got to get too. home, but you gotta get away from here. So are you
1: seeing that's advocacy
0: um, to me, man? That's I'm, that's I, I disagree
1: I'm, with you. I don't think that's. I think that's. <laughs> Because I think you have a vested interest. To me, advocacy would mean purely for them. You are very much vested in the outcome of this. I mean, there's a big difference between those two.
0: Yeah. On the other hand, fair enough.
1: On the other hand, I think you raise a really interesting question,
0: which is they're also on the same page. Like they don't want to not be in the study at this moment. They want that choice for themselves, not some schmuck at Harvard to make. That's fair. That's fair, but that's not advocacy. Still, I think that that is that's fighting for you. We'll fight for
1: you. Your and attorney. that I think that's great. I, I'm not taking away from the fact. May, maybe advocacy is a good word. Maybe it is advocacy because you're advocating for them. But that doesn't make it altruistic. Maybe it's not altruistic, but it is still. I didn't advocacy. Say that.
0: Yeah, okay, we have mutually fair. aligned incentives, like mutually aligned reasons. Me yeah, and yeah, yeah, you. To get them in, and but if you take us away, right? Who? Yeah. Like, what's left? It's the patient. The IRB is yeah. not going to fight for this patient. No, you that, and
1: you wouldn't expect them to. Yeah. Yeah. But no, your your point's well made. The part that I think is interesting, uh, and I know you gotta go pretty
0: soon, but yeah, I got Zoom. Creo, if you're watching, I'll be on the Zoom right now. I know Stephanie watches. So here here's what I'm gonna say in a second. I think
1: the next time we come on, we should talk about what these large pharmacies mm. as sites are gonna look like. Cause mm. we all know CBS got out of the business. I just read somewhere. Walgreens doesn't act I think they said something like Walgreens only had eight different studies they've done I read I all I know I is got more in
0: 12 patients. months at Yuma trials than they did and well I assume they have more patients uh,
1: in their yeah. studies I hope they so Didn't enroll more <laughs> I don't know um, but I, th- I thought that was fascinating because I would have thought there'd be a lot more right um,
0: yeah I mean I hope, Walgreens. like Walgreens I hope I'm not like reading against them I hope they do well like they can mm-hmm. do well
1: Yeah. But I think that the interesting thing was something you said right after that, which is what happens if Amazon owns sites or becomes the next Walgreens? So PillPack gets into the clinical research business. There you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or that, or more likely, or maybe at the same time, large health systems start doing research, right? Oh, they already are. They are, but like only, only them, like every community, only a large health system. And then Researchers integrated. I mean, you lose some of this, like, maybe it's better at the end of the day, like if the ends justify the means, maybe there's more patients you can reach, but more will fall through the cracks too. I don't know, man. I think there's room for both, like small and large.
1: Oh, 100%. I, I think that's the beauty of it. It's like the, uh, small and large CROs. I think they've served different functions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the large ones you want for like a global study, but the small ones, they, they're often specialists. In the same way, I think a Yuma, for example, like you just mentioned, you, you went and fought for that patient. Um, and I think that's almost great.
0: every study you have to do it a few times. Like it's become right. a joke with the coordinators. Like, um, right. I haven't done it this week. You know, <laughs> what's going on? Right. But I think the, the flip side of that
1: is oh, we've got Kilna saying, in terms of advocacy, in a pediatric study, an inclusion criterion is that the mom should be 18 and up, the mom is 17. Other than the mother's at age, the patient qualifies, does that mean the patient can't participate? Think Belmont report. I would argue that there are clear inclusion-exclusion criteria. I would argue if the inclusion criteria is 18 and above, yeah. I I don't like it, but those are the facts. Um now you might argue that um that, that the the it's it's applicable for a deviation, and I think that's fair. That's a fair argument to make. But strict reading of the rules. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a bit of a purist, as you can tell.
0: I think my meeting was canceled, so we don't need to rush anymore. But I like bringing it. I, I tried to click the Zoom, and it's, uh said invalid. So I don't know. Korea, if you're watching, come on. We can do it like public. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like having you on because you you force to think, right? Like you force us to think. And then hopefully we're forcing you to see another perspective, too, that you're not used to seeing. I l-
1: no, just to be clear, I see 100% of your perspective because I've also negotiated for sites. I do it all the time. I do I, it more often for sites I, than I do Advocate. 100% I'm a site advocate, advocate. but I also think I, I think that people forget that being a site advocate also means telling, putting a mirror to the sites so that they know of course. what the other side's thinking.
0: The sites are <laughs> far from angels. right? And that's
1: my point. But I think uh, I had a conversation with with Edie, and, and you know Edie. Oh, yeah. um, so Edie and I have this conversation all the time, where she'll go like, "Well, this is the perspective of the site," and I go, "I agree with you, but here's the other side from the sponsor perspective." And Edie's amazing at the site perspective, um, and shout out to Edie. Um, but but the shout out to Edie. yeah, but but the point being that that conversation, that perspective, she goes, "Oh yeah, this is an interesting perspective. I'm glad you raised it, and we're always learning from each other, isn't it?" Um, so I, I, to me, I'm lucky to, to bring those, have those perspectives and I'm lucky and I'm hoping that as part of fraud pod, as part of Darshan talks, as part of, um, the, the clinical trials guru, we, we get to have those conversations and, and I
0: appreciate you giving me the forum to have that with you. No, I always love having you on cause you stretch my thinking. Um, like we're able to talk out loud through couple things a couple different issues there and kind of get to
1: I mean I I think Kilner raised a really interesting comment, right? Thinking should we be thinking from the perspective of the Belmont report? In a pediatric study an
0: inclusion criterion is that the mother should be 18 and up. The mother's 17. Other than the mother's age the patient qualifies, does that mean the patient can't participate? Um yeah, so the I would run it up to the sponsor. In that case I wouldn't argue like aggressively like I do with some of these other patients because that's clearly like right outside of the criteria and that's my point but sometimes the sponsor will say yeah well when is their birthday it- oh it's okay well okay sometimes
1: well i think think justice that's what kilna is saying and i well, think that's a strong word <laughs> well that's one of the criteria in the belmont report uh there, there are there's non-beneficence there's justice and kilna what's the last one i used to teach bioethics for several for years for like 10 years it's probably in this book somewhere <laughs> but by the time I find it, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Justice, beneficence, and uh, Do you know hard? Oh no, that is beneficence. Uh, uh, hold on, justice, beneficence. Uh, is it autonomy? I think it's autonomy.
0: Uh, Saveoursites.com, guys. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I hear Kiel going. I hear Stefan's going. I hear Edie's going. Just shot my back. darshan
1: darshan Darshan is hoping for a sponsor to help me get there
0: respect for persons that's thank you that's the part you lose this guys when you go bigger when you try to leverage like you kind of lose this you can prove that you still have it but there's a difference between the bare minimum everybody knows darshan Old school pharmacy. You walk in, the pharmacist knows your kid's birthday. Oh, when is Mary turning nine? Oh yeah, it's next we, week, right?
1: Damn, we've got people coming on. Respect for persons. You got another comment like that.
0: Yeah, respect <laughs> respect for all you guys. Old school versus new school. You go to your yeah. pharmacy, old school yeah. pharmacy. Yeah. Hey Darshan, little Mike's turning nine next week. Huh? Yeah, awesome. Is he still on the is he still Little League on the Angels? Yeah, they're doing yeah. good. Versus going to Walgreens. What the heck? Who who are you? Like, stand in line? You know, do you want to get this credit card? Do you, okay, let me ask coupon, you this question. Your receipt's like this big? <laughs> I think you're thinking CVS, first of all. They're all but the I,
1: same. <laughs> CVS's receipts are known to be long. But okay. let me ask you this question. Since you raise it, who's your pharmacy?
0: Mine is Sam's Club.
1: Okay, so so you aren't that much better. You just made a whole pitch I don't for why need, you won the old school I bar with me. I don't
0: need the respect. <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need it. For <laughs> I don't. It's so- I think you just got called out. I didn't get called out. If I were a patient that needed one-on-one little like white glove right. service, I'm not going yeah. to Sam's Club. I could care less. I just need my lisinopril that's it, And that's where I think that's where we are. And as someone who's worked
1: in all kinds of pharmacies, like literally, I think I've done like 15 different types of pharmacies, yeah. uh, bigger, uh, more. Um, but the point being, most people just want convenience and most people just want to go in and go out. I'm not looking to have a conversation with my pharmacist. I'm looking to go do you in think and in go the out.
0: clinical research. It's the same.
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. In my opinion. I don't, you don't. Interesting. I think people. So here's what they told us about pharmacy. Um, we we went from the model where we want to um, we want to have that relationship to the 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 patient is now a consumer, and the consumer is always right. And unfortunately, that's not mm. true. The consumer is not always right.
0: <laughs> that's true. Big facts.
1: Um. And, and any person who works in retail will tell you that the consumer is wrong more often than you can think, right? Right, so it's respect for patients, and I think respect goes both ways. Um, you, you have to respect, for example, the fact that, and just to be clear, I'm not talking about respect for persons the way the Belmont report describes it. Um, there's actually a very clear definition of what
0: that is, but um. Hey, you know what, Darshan? My you gotta go. Starting, yeah, it's on people, okay. so I'm out. This was all right, guys. Like, awesome seeing you. Catch up with you soon. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.